I love seeing the partnership that we enjoy with our brothers and sisters around the world and, and really know that KEM, Kenya Evangelical Mission, uh, we, our relationship with them is so um, real, intimate, ongoing, personal, and, uh, and we're grateful to be able to um, just see what God's doing there. When uh, Dave mentioned, can you imagine overseeing 30 churches, I looked at Grace sitting next to me, I'm like... No. <laughs> One's enough. You guys are enough. You're plenty. No. But, uh, you know, that, that's just to see God planting churches um, and, and working is so beautiful. And a lot of beautiful things are happening around here too, folks. Uh, yesterday, there was yet another work day on the Ed Wing renovation. And we had several folks uh, in here doing doing what they do and so praise god uh for just all the work that went into that we can just thank him for that and if you were a part of that thank you for doing that that's the prerequisite uh for the the other uh project of access for all we need to get that straightened out so that we can utilize that in a new way while we're renovating uh, this side and so we're, we're grateful for that but here's the thing yesterday was particularly exciting because the people who were here had to part- or got to participate, maybe it was had to, I don't know, in a special project that came up because we found, uh, and, and John Kelligan had someone come out and discern that we had, had a massive water leak. So there were several that went out back and dug a six-foot hole and got in there and found the leak, found what was happening with the water, and got it fixed so that we have running water today. So praise God for them. And if you were a part of that, I just, uh, wow, there were a lot. I can't, I can't even name all the names of the, of the people who came out for that to make that happen. So uh, we do. We, we thank the Lord for you. And, um, and now we, we continue in looking at what it means to walk together as a church. And we've been uh, looking at um, the book of 1 Corinthians. And we've just spent this whole section over the past few weeks, if you haven't been with us, uh, looking at 1 Corinthians 13 and talking about love. And what is love, actually? We found that, that, that love is essential. It's not an option. If we're not walking as God's people in love, then, then we have nothing that we're actually bringing to the table. We also saw that love is fruitful. There's things that come about from love. Um, and, and there's a patience about us and a kindness and a gentleness and a not taking into account a wrong suffered and, and all those different elements. And then, and then Paul wraps up that whole section by talking about how love is eternal. And if you were with us last week, you know, we talked about that, how we you know, kind of had that rope that we laid out, right? And we get caught up in this little part at the end, you know, and like, that, like that's the main thing when in fact there is eternity before us and we live today in light of then and how he's saying to the Corinthians, hey, you're caught up in your gifts and you're acting as if the, the, the pride and the prominence that comes from your gift right now is what it's all about. And he's saying, but that's nothing. It's love. And so now we enter a, a, the next section in chapter 14 and I want to just ask a question. You know, how, how do you know if love is real? And as I was thinking about that question, I hit uh, in my brain an excellent, excellent movie that talks about that. Uh, the movie's called Enchanted. Maybe you've seen it. And there's a certain song. Maybe you've heard of that song. It's called That's How You Know. Some of you are going, da, 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 right? You got it in your head already. It's there instantly. 
But, you know, you've got a princess-to-be, Giselle, is in this, life is a fairy tale, and, and she's banished from this animated land called Andalasia, and she's thrust into the very heart of the very unmagical, live-action, real Manhattan. And, and there's a cynical, no-nonsense lawyer named Robert, and he comes to help her. And so this whole time, you know, he's kind of enters into this thing with this princess, a wide-eyed, innocent princess, and he has no idea that she is going to, well... Enchant him. That's what's going to happen, okay? He's going to be enchanted by her. But, but there's a song in the beginning, and, and he's kind of, you know, kind of like the cynical guy, and, and he, he loves um, his fiance. Her name's Nancy, and, and he's kind of, and then she's like, but how do you know you love her? And that's how the song kicks off. And so then she starts singing, and he's kind of like, whatever. We can stop singing, let's go. But then she's walking along, and then some of the uh, vendors of, of, like, hot dogs start singing with her. And he's like, they know the song too? Like, how does that work, you know? And they're walking along, pretty soon everyone's singing this thing and going through, and it's actually really funny. And, and, and what, is, what does it talk about? Well, uh, the, the lyrics say things like this. How do you know? Well, does he leave a little note to tell you you are on his mind? Send yellow flowers when the sky is gray. Hey. I'm sorry, I always love reading... <laughs> When I'm reading song lyrics, like, doo-wop, doo-wop. You know, that doesn't, anyway, hey. Um, and then, you know, another stanza says, well, does he take you out dancing just so he can get you close? Delicate, dedicate a song with words meant just for you. Ooh, right? <laughs> and that's the kind of thing, you know, she's saying there's a way to know if this love is real. It shows. It shows up as something. Uh, one of my favorite parts of it, by the way, is Giselle's there in front of a lake and, and she's singing and this, these like doves bring a, a bouquet, a heart bouquet of yellow flowers to her and she goes, take them to Nancy. <laughs> and they fly away. You know, and it's like it's Manhattan. Hello, Nancy. And he's, you know, he's gone. Are you crazy? They're birds. I don't know where she lives. They show up with them, you know, for her, of course, right? But anyway, how do you know if love is real? How do we know? And Paul is going to tell us this in 1 Corinthians 14. And the way you know your love is real shows in a fascinating way. Real love shows in your zeal for spiritual gifts and how you use them to love other people. That's how it shows. Your zeal for spiritual gifts, the gifts that God gives every person that comes to him by faith. Supernatural gifts from God, your zeal for them, and then using them amongst the body of Christ to build it up. That's how you know your love is real. And so uh, let's go ahead and and open to 1 Corinthians 14. It's on page 137 in the New Testament, which is going to be toward the end of the, the Bible that's on the chair rack in front of you. If you'd like to use that. And in honor of the word of God, would you please stand and follow along as I read. Pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For the one who speaks in a tongue doesn't speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But the one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. 
One who speaks a tongue edifies himself. The one who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more, that you would prophesy. And greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may receive edifying. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be the one who speaks a bar- like a barbarian, and to the one who speaks will be like a barbarian to me. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound to the edification of the church. Therefore, if one speaks in a tongue, pray that he may interpret. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit, And I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks since he does not know what you are saying? For if you're giving thanks, well enough, but the other person is not edified. I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also, rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Let's pray. Lord, we, we ask that you would open our hearts to understand what you are saying to us here in these passages. Lord, we desire to live out your command to pursue love. And we can see that pursuing love, walking that path of love means desiring earnestly the spiritual gifts and living those out amongst the body to build it up. So Lord, please convict us where we need convicting, correct us where we need correcting, encourage us where we need encouragement, strengthen us where we're weak. We desire that you do your will with us as a church for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So really, as Paul is, is talking here, we're, and we're going to see this come out of the passage, that he's talking about the godly use of grace gifts. And by godly, I, I, I mean something very particular. Honoring God in the use of the gifts that he's given us. And he's telling us clearly what that is here in verse 1. He's saying, pursue love. So all that I talked about with love, all of that. Patience, kindness, gentleness. The fact that it supersedes and goes beyond this age into eternity and beyond. All of those things now, pursue that. Walk in that path. Walk in that way of love. So that's, that's, that's honoring God. Yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts. Now we're seeing a connection here of if I'm pursuing love, there's going to be a way in which I live out the spiritual gifts that God gives. And so godly use of grace gifts 
He's giving some commands here. They must be certain things. And, and the first thing we would find is this. Godly use of grace gifts must edify more than mystify. They must edify or build up, in other words, more than mystify. I'm using comparative language because that's the language Paul is using in the passage. He's saying this over this. Essentially, um, what's the key of, of, of showing that love is being pursued? That you're out about the business of building up the church, edifying the church with the gifts that God's given. Um, that's got to be the earnest desire. And, and, and that word there in, in uh, verse 1, desire earnestly, it is, a, it is a passionate desire. It is an eager desire. And notice this. It's a repeat. He's already said this. He's actually picking up where he left off. Look back at chapter 12, verse 31. Paul has said there, but earnestly desire, there it is, the greater gifts. Same phrase. Different word order, but same phrase. And notice, the greater gifts is what he's referring to there. What are the greater gifts? Well, he's already described those as well. Look back at verse 28. He talks about how God has appointed to the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. And then he lists out several of the gifts. Miracles, gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. So he's already told us what the greater gifts are, and he's saying, earnestly desire those. He does this massively beautiful depiction of love, and now he's saying, okay, that love, pursue it. How? Remember I said earnestly desire? earnestly desire. Now he's saying spiritual gifts, all of them. Desire all of them. And now he goes, especially that you may prophesy. Now, what is prophecy? And uh, if you weren't with us many, many weeks ago, we went into that in, in, in great detail. And so I'd encourage you to go back to those messages to get kind of like the full uh, picture of that. Um, in a nutshell, uh, what we talked about already is, you know, we have the picture of prophecy in the Old Testament. What was it? It was uh, prophets sent by God to say, thus saith the Lord, and they spoke clearly direct revelation from God, fully inerrant, fully authoritative. That's what they said, and, 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 and God was giving people his word. Um, and then we come to the New Testament, and what do we find there? The nature of prophecy through the New Testament is, is essentially the same. It is direct revelation from God. It is fully inerrant, fully authoritative. Um, and this was happening again at this time in particular. The church is new. It's just been brought into being. They do not have uh, the scriptures, and yet God is giving them his word as they gather together. Uh, men and women, given the gift of prophecy, are speaking direct revelation from God, and it's to be received as God's fully inerrant authoritative word. Um, and, and then, and then um, you know, we would see now, now some people would, would take that word a little differently. Um, there are many, and by the way, many I respect, you know, how you take prophecy, we've said before, is a tier two issue. Uh, there are different people within the church that we love and respect, different scholars um, that have different views on this. And again, it's not something where we're like, and there, you know, um, you know, not believers, not within the family of God. No way. We're not saying that at all. Um, but some, some would take prophecy here to mean the gift of teaching. 
Some would take it that way. They would say, hey, the prophets recorded what they, what they said. And again, I have great respect for them. Um, but they said, it's exactly the same. It is essentially the gift of teaching. I, I, I don't think that's the case because I see, I think, again, the Old Testament picture of what a prophet did is they spoke revelation directly from God. And in the New Testament, again, speaking revelation directly from God is a key part of that. So uh, certainly teaching and prophecy relate. We could probably see two concentric circles. Like so, there are different ways that they're similar in that, again, they're both revealing or, or they're both, I'm sorry, bringing forward God's word, but one is, is actually bringing God's word forward directly by revelation. The other is dealing with revelation that's already been given, teaching, and, and bringing that forward uh, in, in that way. And so uh, I think that's a little different. Others would say prophecy today um, is, is, uh, is ongoing um, and, and is a gift that it's not as authoritative as it was in the Old Testament. It might contain errors, it might not. Um, so it's not inerrant. And, and you just kind of, you know, you can, uh, it's, it's on a different level than the Old Testament prophets had. And, and again, we, we, we dealt with that quite a bit um, many, many weeks ago. Um, I think, uh, again, for, for, for where, uh, where I would stand on prophecy, I think the nature of prophecy in the Old Testament is consistent with the nature of prophecy in the New Testament. And I also think God had a very distinct purpose for prophecy, and we talked about that before as well, in terms of the founding of the church. And that's why in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, uh, Paul will say, uh, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus being the cornerstone. And that, Ephesians is kind of where God is giving us his blueprint for the church. And he's saying, hey, this is, this, these are the plans. This is the way God's laid us out. There's a foundation. There's a cornerstone, Jesus. We don't have other, other cornerstones. There are the apostles. There are a specific group uh, given by God at the founding of the church. And, and then the, the prophets as well fit that. And so that's what we're building on now. And then God goes on, or uh, Paul goes on to describe how there's this temple that God that grows from this foundation. Um, and he refers uh, to the readers and saying, you're being built on this foundation, Ephesians, you're being built into this wonderful dwelling place of God and the Spirit. And it's like, whoa, that's amazing what God's doing. It's God's, this is God's stunning, amazing, beautiful building project of the, for the church. And he's talking there literally about the architectural design of the church and, and what God's doing. And he's saying, understand your part in that building, in that design. And so certainly here in Corinth, they are in a unique time in redemption, the history of redemption, in in the founding of the church. And so there, not having the scriptures, not having revelation from God from the the New Testament, uh, there were people there, men and women, who had the gift of prophecy, and they spoke direct revelation from God in that moment. And um, and so, uh, you know, again, if people differ on that... we can talk. It's a tier two issue. But here's the thing I want to be clear on, and that is this. The way we apply this passage, we must not mute the application simply because we're going, oh, that was then, this is now, then so what? We can move on. Hey, skip chapter 14. By the way, some people do. <laughs> uh, we dare not do that either. Uh, because really what Paul is talking about here is not so much specifically about Um, the gift of prophecy. Really what he's bringing forward is a contrast within the church family. And the contrast is between the unintelligible and gifts that would be used in that way versus clear, intelligible speech. And that's why so much real estate in this passage is given to that. Repeatedly, over and over again, he's saying, 
the, the, the priority. Because what was the Corinthian church doing? They, they were taking the gift of tongues, which again was, is speaking in a language that you've never learned, a, a literal um, language that would be from another land, another group of people, another ethnicity, whatever it would be, speaking that without ever having learned it. And what he's saying is they were, they were prioritizing that gift. They're saying, this gift is everything. Do you speak in tongues? You're really spiritual if you do that. And Paul's saying, you are prioritizing or, 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 or upholding this gift over the other. And, and he's already said, the greater gifts are apostle, prophet, and teacher. Those are the greater gifts. And so this, the Corinthian church has distorted this, group, this, this uh, specific gift and, 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 and given tongues this, this high rank of, 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 of being over everything. Tongues was over prophecy. Uh, you're, you're, you're valuing, Paul is saying, the impressive over the intelligible. And so Paul's now going to great lengths to show them you've got it backwards. And so after comparing and contrasting love against all the spiritual gifts and saying that love is beyond it, he's now saying, he's zooming in now to not only is love greater than all the spiritual gifts, but now your preoccupation with tongues and, and the incredible manifestation of tongues, that sign is not greater than the intelligible communication of the truth of God's revelation. And so he's saying when it comes to spiritual gifts, love's greater than all. And when it comes to Corinthians, your twisted priorities, intelligible speech is greater than impressive signs. Um, but then, then, regardless of how you understand prophecy, whether it's some of the other things I've described or, or what I described as being uh, what, I, what I really believe it to be, regardless of that, the question still remains, how do we apply this verse? Because as we know, each passage of scripture has one meaning, but it has many applications. And I think we need to ask this question, do we as a church really desire the spiritual gifts? Do we? Um, and, and, and in regards to prophecy, here's a, here's a question. Do we have a zeal to not only seek God's gifts to us as his people, but also to use those gifts to build one another up. As in like when we gather, like today. Um, do we have a burning passion to speak God's word to one another when we're gathered together? Do you want to do that? Or instead, is it more of a, well, you know what? I, 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 I'm, I'm coming here because I just need to be filled up, so... So Chris, you know, if I can just sit like this and maybe if I can lay back a little farther, Lord, do it to me, you know. Is it that? Because I think Paul would say here, no, the, the problem with that is you're not, your, your earnest desire is, is rather than seeking the spiritual gifts. And, and we, again, we talked about there, there's a lot of them. I think we outlined 18 of them. But, and by the way, there could be more spiritual gifts than are even described for us here, right? So, but... Are you seeking those? And do you want to use those to impact your brothers and sisters around you? Is that a part of how we gather? Is that our focus? And, and don't get me wrong. We do come to be filled. We do come to taste and see that the Lord is good. We do come to drink deeply from God's word. But is that all? Because if that's all, we're missing out on the full-orbed plan for God, for us, to see 
the spiritual gifts show themselves among us as we use them to care for one another. And, and if we don't have this zeal, again, the, the, the word there, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, the full gamut, if we don't have that zeal, then sadly the gifts God's given us are not going to be used to build up the body. If anything, we've twisted things around and we've focused them out on us. And that's why Paul will say what he says in the, in the following verses. If you look at verses 2 through 5, he draws a contrast. There's one who's edifying themselves. Look at verse 4. The one who speaks a tongue edifies himself. The one who prophesies edifies the church. There's the difference. Again, clear communication. Um, intelligible, clear communication. Or speech that makes me look great. And he's addressing, you know, obviously their pride in that. But, but you know, for, for many of us, I think sometimes, especially in our part of the vineyard, right? And by our part of the vineyard, I mean those who would see the gifts as having specific purposes at specific times in redemption history. Are, we are very easily prone to disobey this passage of desiring earnestly the spiritual gifts. Because it's an overreaction. Well, we don't do that. We don't, okay, so forget that and move on. And we easily fall into this sort of like mindset of just, you know what? Teach me, don't touch me. And fill me, but I'm not here to care for others. We have a lot to learn from our brothers and sisters from different parts of the vineyard. In that way, I think. Uh, it's almost like, I don't know, a, a tool being left to just rust somewhere. Tools are expensive. Have you notice that, by the way? They're pricey. My father-in-law, ha- he's a mechanic, and uh, he recently retired, although he unretired. But anyway, he was, he was retired for at least, they wanted him back. He's really good. But I walk into his garage, and I see his tools. I mean, it is, the rack is like, you know, taller than me. And, and the amount of money spent, he's, he's a, you know, Snap-on. Snap-on's the company that comes in and they make just the right tool for just the right job. That's their thing. And it's like, oh, you're working on that car. Oh, you've got to hit that bolt, the one that's tucked behind the alternator over here. Yeah. Well, you need this. And it's like this crazy wrench that goes, and you can only use it on this car, right? And he, he spent all this money. But, but could you imagine him just being, you know, you know what, I got these tools. I'm just going to put them out back. Put them out back, let the elements hit them, let the rain hit them, let the rust hit them, and I'm not using them anymore. You would be astonished. Like, what a waste. But brothers and sisters, if we are not earnestly desiring the spiritual gifts, if we are not prayerfully and eagerly seeking to use them, to see them shown here amongst God's body gathered at Clayton Valley Church, that's what we're doing. And we can easily fall into that. And so, let's seek that prayerfully. What does that mean? It changes the way we prepare to come each day. We gather, doesn't it? Um, it's praying, Lord, as, as, as we gather, Lord, may I minister to and care for by, by the gifts of the Spirit that you've given me, may I care for my brothers and sisters here. Maybe it's encouraging them. Maybe it's helping them. Maybe it's giving mercy to them. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's in a way of, of speaking God's word to them. 
I want to, Lord, I want to speak your words in a way that edify, that build up. I want to do what I can do to build up your body in love. And that's how they are going to know that we're his children. That's how they're going to know. They're going to look and go, that's strange. Man, those people are all from different backgrounds. They've got different beliefs about everything from finances to education to they come from different places. Geographically, they come from different places economically and and culturally and, and yet they love each other. That's weird. It also means that we're prayer, praying, God, help me to be watchful. Help me to see the needs because these gifts are given, all the spiritual gifts are given for the purpose of being used to build up the body and to care for one another, which means there's needs. Are we coming in here each, each time we gather or when we gather midweek or when we're just around our brothers and sisters? Are we looking for ways that we can care for each other? Let's do that. So Paul's bringing forward here the godly use, meaning the application of all that love is. The honoring unto him, the gift giver, use of his gifts, it edifies more than mystifies. The second thing we would see is it's to instruct. The godly use of grace gifts must instruct more than impress. And we find that in verses 6 to 19. Um, Paul, Paul moves here into an analogy. And he talks about how if I come speaking in tongues, it's not going to profit you unless I speak to you by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching. And you're kind of like, whoa, wait a minute. There's four things there. What's going on? Um, I, I think the, the syntax there would show a relationship. And also the concepts would show a relationship. Um, you're, you, we're seeing what's being brought forward and then we're seeing the gift by which that thing is brought forward. So for example, revelation is connected, no, you'll notice, to prophecy. Why? Because prophecy gives revelation. That's what it does. And so you've got these two pairs of things that are related. And then knowledge, what is that? What, what imparts knowledge? Well, teaching does. Right? So he's saying, I, I want to bring you revelation from God. I want to bring you Knowledge, understanding. Again, we're, we're back to the intelligible speech. Over and against tongues, which was their focus. And, and he says, why? Because that's, that's what's going to build you up. The truth from God, God's word, God's revelation. That's what's going to bring life. The spirit of God uses what he reveals, what he gives in his word to give life, to, to, to impart knowledge. You know, we're, we're, we're told... Um, in, in the Old Testament, in, in the Psalms, you know, that God's word is literally the thing that, that takes uh, our hearts and, and causes them to experience rejuvenation. Um, we're told that the, the word of God is, is what comes and uh, brings wisdom to the simple, uh, that, that brings joy to our hearts. When our hearts are lacking joy, it's God's word. The spirit works through the word to bring joy. Um, that restores our soul. And again, I don't know if you ever feel like your soul needs to be restored. 
I sure feel like mine does. A lot. God uses his revelation to do that. And so in verse 6, this is what he's saying. He's going, um, revelation that comes from prophecy, knowledge that comes from teaching. If I bring those things to you, then there's profit, he says in verse 6. And then he moves to the illustrations of these instruments. You know, there's a lifeless things, a flute or a harp, and producing a sound. It doesn't produce distinct tones. No one's going to know. So he's, that's, that's tongues, right? So you're speaking in a language no one's ever heard before. And as you're doing this and showing the gift, no one understands you. And so it's almost like you're playing an instrument, but it's not making distinct tones. And, um, or a bugle for battle. If you can't hear what the bugle is sounding, you're not sure what you're supposed to do as the troops. That's how they would communicate in times of battle. And, uh, and so that's, you know, that, I, I can think of, t- <laughs> there was, a, so when I first got my uh, electric guitar that I'd saved up for, I saved up a long time for this guitar. Okay, I was, a, I was like out of high school going to college. How much money did I have? Like None. But I just socked it away. And I finally got this thing home. I was so happy. I had saved and saved and saved and saved. And I was like, yes, I got to pick it up. The guy who was building it, he kept kind of, because I was, I was uh, very low on the um, food chain <laughs> with the people he was building guitars for, right? So uh, he was building people who were like playing for, you know, big name. And I'm just like, I want a guitar, right? So anyway, uh, finally I get it though, you know? And I think it takes time I play. I'm just learning how it works and trying to figure it out and, you know, getting it down. And it takes a while. And then I remember I was playing. I forgot where I was playing, but I was playing um, a job somewhere. And, and, and I love this thing because the bridge, the bridge on it, I had it set. It's an electric, right? It has the whammy bar. So you can dive bomb, roll, right? Go way down. Or I had it so it was a floating bridge so you can go up too. Not everybody had that. But I'm like, dude, I'm going to go up and down. Right, so so it means what it means is there's these springs that are holding the bridge and the string tension, and it holds it in tune. Well, guess what the problem is? I learned it the hard way. If a string breaks, what happens to the tension? Gone. That that guitar is not useful anymore. You break a string, the bridge adjusts, and now it's like it's just out of tune. So if you ever, you ever, you ever you, when you go to when you go to concerts and you see like you know big old stage and like the guitar guy's there and he's got like eight guitars behind him, you ever wonder why? It's not because the, the player he or she is going because I'm such a great player I got eight guitars. No, it's because if something breaks, it's over, man. Give me the next one. Like it's got to go on. That's why they, that's why they have those. Um, but that's that's the picture here. What Paul's saying is, look. Unless speech is intelligible, you're like an attitude instrument. You're like an indistinct instrument. You're like, you're like an instrument that is not able to play notes in a way where people can hear it and go, ah. So again, intelligible speech is so critical. Um, and, then he, and then he goes on to clarify it further in verses 10 through 12. Again, he says there in verse 10, there are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world and no kind is without meaning. If then I don't know the meaning of the language, I will be to the one who speaks as a barbarian. So the idea is there is, and barbarian, even that word kind of sounds a little bit like what it is. It's almost like a grumbling sound. 
with a lot of guttural tones in it. Um, so the idea there would be, look, these languages that you're instantly speaking, they all have a meaning, he's saying. But if I don't understand the meaning, there's no way for me to get it. And so again, he qualifies it in verse 12. You're zealous for the spiritual gifts. He commends them, and that's good, by the way. They are zealous for the spiritual gifts. We need to be zealous for the spiritual gifts. That's a great thing. That's an important thing. That's a vital thing for the health of the church. But now he, he clarifies, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Build up the church. Intelligible words do that. Unintelligible words won't. Um, and then he goes on in verses 13 through 19 to just describe how there are times when people there would be praying in, in tongues. They would be praying in an unlearned language. And, and he's saying, yes, that's great but for you and God, but it's not helping the people around you. How, how am I supposed to say amen to your prayer if I don't even know what you're praying? Verse 17, you might be giving thanks, that's great, but the other person, there's that word again, edified, build up. They're not built up. And then it's interesting, verse 18 says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. He, what is he clarifying? Tongues are not a bad thing. He goes, I, I, I speak in unknown languages all, you know, more than any of you. But, he says, what does he say? I would rather speak five words with my mind, cognitively able to then instruct others. So, rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. So again, Paul is clearly saying here, the godly use of grace gifts will instruct more than impress. That's his goal. That's his purpose. In conclusion, the, the last contrast that we would see is the godly use of grace gifts. They don't just edify more than they mystify and instruct more than they impress. But lastly, they are going to convict more than confuse. And we find that in verses 20 through 25. Uh, notice he says, Brethren, don't be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. This has been an ongoing theme for Paul. He's been saying this over and over again. Um, he, uh, he described it in chapter 2, verse 6, when he said, We speak a wisdom among the mature. It's that word teleos that we talked about so much last week, if you were with us. Um, the idea of, again, the, when, when uh, I, I speak as a child, I used to speak as a child and reason like a child, etc. He's talking about we need to grow up. We need to be mature in this. Um, he also said back in chapter 3, he said, I can't talk to you as those who are mature. You're still infants spiritually. You still need milk. And so he uh, is going on to say, you need to grow up. Enough of this preoccupation uh, with this one gift and thinking that's what makes you truly spiritual. No, see instead that intelligible speech. The greater gifts are more than unintelligible speech. Though sensational it is and, and though it's a sign and though it is a good thing from God, it is not the gift. And he does something interesting in... Uh, Verses 21 and 22, he says, you know, he quotes Isaiah 28 and talks about how, uh, he says, in, in the law it's written, by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers, I will speak to this people. And even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So when tongues are assigned not to those who believe, but to unbelievers, but prophecy is assigned not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. 
He's, ta- he's talking about how there was a time under God's judgment that God sent into the land these foreign nations. And it was that by hearing these other languages, people were like, oh no, what's going on? We've, we've not uh, followed God. Now we're receiving his judgment. So he's saying, you're treating tongues as if they are the apex of all. In fact, the, the, the other languages in times past were used as a sign of God's judgment. So again, why are you caught up in that as the gift? And instead, intelligible speech is what is necessary and what edifies and what builds up. And so then he, he concludes that with verse 23. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues and the ungifted or unbeliever enters, will they not say that you are mad? And, and that happened. And by the way, that still has happened throughout history. Uh, when, when that becomes the everything, folks come in and they're like, what's going on? I don't know. But if all prophesy and a believer ungifted man enters, he's convicted by all, called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring God is certainly among you. Yes, when, when, the, when God's revelation is brought clearly forward with intelligible speech, at that point, when those who are there are like, whoa, now, now here with the gift of prophecy, very well it could have been that they were pointing out particular things about particular people and saying, hey, this is the deal that you're dealing with. This is what you're dealing with. Well, how do you know? I think this is one of those places where teaching and, and prophecy do overlap. I don't know about uh, you know, everybody, but I, I know I've been in places before where someone's preaching and I'm like, who invited into my house this past week? You know, what's with that? And some of you have shared that. That, that happens here sometimes too. I'll, I'll, I'll find out afterwards when we're talking out front. There's sort of like this, so how did you know exactly that? I'm like, I don't know. The Spirit of God has His Word. He brings it forward and it addresses particular things. Uh, I, I've, I've known of times and it's been shared with me that, you know, something was shared in a given week and then that very next week, that very issue was what was pressing in on a person's life. So the Lord does that. But, but what happens is when, when uh, speech is intelligible versus again, impressive, when, when that's the focus, the Spirit of God brings conviction. And, and, that's, and that's what happens. There's, a, there's an awe. There's a falling on the face. Like, well, God's, God's here. God's here. Because as his revelation is clearly brought forward, um, at that point, there's conviction of sin and there is a way in which I, I need to change. I need to turn. But, but again, they need to see this because that's not their focus. Their focus is, look at all the ways I can speak in these languages I've never learned. Check this out. Boom. And the, and the, the worship service was filled with just a bunch of, a lot of cacophony of just different sounds coming out that people were going, what's, what's happening? It was not orderly. And Paul's going to talk about that a bit more in the next section. But a part of seeing this, a part of seeing the, these um, priorities from God, the, the fact that, that speech is to be intelligible, that, that the use of God's grace gifts is to be zealously desired, and it's to edify more than mystify, it's to instruct more than to impress, it's to convict more than to confuse. When those things come about, that's when this maturity that Paul is describing is, is seen. He's saying, grow up. And, uh, and, and so we need to 
to keep that in mind as well. Um, for us, again, I, I, I believe that our zealously seeking the gifts and zealously desiring to use them as we are gathered, let's excel all the more in that. Let's grow in that. May we be praying in that way. I do find it fascinating that even in this passage, uh, we see that uh, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. He's praying, God, help, give me that gift so I can use it. And, and we're going to find out later, if he doesn't have an interpreter, they're not supposed to say anything. <laughs> Which, by the way, that'd be hard, wouldn't it? Like, you're receiving the ability to speak another language. Like, if all of a sudden I was talking to you and I could speak, you know, immediately Mandarin, I would not want to be quiet, okay? I'd want to, like, let it out. And he's saying, don't, unless there's someone to interpret. Why? Because the point isn't you and your gift. The point is what builds up the body. They had an immature view of gifts. And he's, uh, he's correcting that. Uh, when I, when I was, when I was uh, a kid, I used to read comic books. I used to love those, especially, uh, especially when I was younger, because we actually uh, lived for a time. My dad was in the Navy, and, and we were stationed in... Uh, and rode to Spain, and there was no TV at all. So the best shot I had at seeing anything related to comic books was to go to the commissary on base, and my dad would typically let me pick up maybe one or two comic books. I used to love those. And it's fun, and you know, you kind of have hero after hero. And what, what, what makes a hero a hero? Well, typically he or she has some sort of superpower. You know, there's a superpower that makes them you know, exciting. And, and so, you know, Captain America has super strength and he's got his shield. And then I found out in the movies he can throw that shield like you would not believe. Whoa, right? So, does geometry in his head really fast and goes, yeah, watch this. Dunk, 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 dunk. Takes out five guys, comes back to him. It's crazy. You know, Iron Man, what does he have? High tech, armor, great brain. This crazy thing in his chest that powers it. Wolverine can, can heal from almost anything. And of course, you know, he's got his claws. So, and he's Hugh Jackman. He's cool, right? He's cool. Okay. <laughs> Spider-Man's got super strength, the ability to make webs. Batman, well, hey, Batman's Batman, right? <laughs> I mean, come on. He's just saying, I'm Batman. No, that's it. He's, he's there. Um, but, but, but what happens is a lot of times, so we look at that, that's spectacular, that's amazing. They can make a difference, and we read them, and we're attracted to them because of that. Look at the gifts that they have. They're, like, sensational. They're spectacular, and then we grow up as kids and we're like, um, if I could be a superhero, then I could be, make a difference. That'd be cool, but I'm not. I'm not. But you know what? As we grow up, as we get mature in the faith, we come to realize something. You know what? God has given you, if you're a believer, he has given you spiritual gifts. You have unique, spirit-empowered gifts from God. Batman's got nothing on you. God's given you gifts that you can use to ma- have a massive impact. And, and so, again, is it the gift of helps? You, you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, maybe to do kids' ministry because there, there's a need and you can serve. That's a supernatural thing. That's, that's powerful. Done out of love. I love and I want to serve and I want to build up the body. Maybe it's, maybe it's you're, an op- you're an open ear to listen to somebody in, in sorrow or, or you're a shoulder that to, to, to someone can put their head on and just weep for a brother or sister who's in pain. 
That's God's supernatural gifting of mercy to you. That you're there for them in that way. Are we seeking to do that together? Are we, are we prayerfully, deliberately looking for that? Um, you know, maybe, maybe it's something where just someone's going, this is impossible, it's not going to happen. And you're able to turn to that brother or sister and go, you know what? It is so possible. God can do whatever he wants. And in your saying that, they're kind of like, you're right. You know, is that, is that encouragement? Yeah, is that faith? Yeah. The point is, it's a supernatural gift from God. It's to be used, and it's astounding. You know, maybe it's, it's, oh, I love our church. I want to I care for them, and I have the ability to like, organize things and put them in place and kind of like delegate out to others so that we can get a whole lot done in this given area. Well, that could be the gift of administration. And from those of us who don't have it, that's a supernatural gift from God. And, and, and as you look around and see ways that you're going to earnestly, zealously seek the gifts, what you're doing is you are showing by doing that that you are pursuing love. And to the extent that we don't have zeal for the gifts, we don't seek to see them manifested among us, that we don't live them out, to that extent, sadly, we are neglecting love. May God grace us to be zealous and eager in pursuing love. And may we seek to see the gifts manifest here fully for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would be glorified in our midst in light of these truths. Grace us to honor you. And may you take pleasure as your people Uh, fully, by your grace, in love, utilize the gifts you've given us for the building up of the body of Christ here at Clayton Valley Church. And may we impact your world with your truth far beyond for your glory. Amen. So as we are in the I Heart the Mission month and as we want to make sure our minds are set, not only on the mission we have to share Christ around the world, but also we ourselves, as we exit this place, uh, we go into uh, the world God's called us to. We, we, we gather to worship, to praise, and we scatter to evangelize and to make sure that the gospel is made known. And so uh, this is a congregational commissioning. It certainly isn't original with us, but... Um, we like to use this periodically together. And so I'd like just to read this together and think about what we're saying uh, as we kind of commission ourselves together to go out and, and to, to be a light in a dark world. So let's, let's, let's say this together. Our Father, since you are infinitely worthy of praise, Jesus, since you are king over all things forever, Spirit, Since we believe you can show the hardest of hearts and minds the beauty of Jesus and the ugliness of sin, we will go into all the world, our world, and we will love the gospel dearly, speak the gospel clearly, and live the gospel sincerely for your glory, our joy, and the peace of those who will be saved by your grace because we love them enough to share. Go in that grace.